Well, I am so thankful that all of you were able to make it this morning. Um, I was kind of hesitant to do the phone call this morning because I wasn't sure how much grumbling I would hear um, on the other end of that. Uh, it's one of those things where it's kind of like when I was a kid and you would watch as all the little community schools started canceling. You know, Palmyra would cancel, Monroe City would cancel, and Hannibal would stay on there. And as a kid, you prayed in front of the TV, Lord, please let Hannibal come across the screen because no one else is going to school, and it never would happen. And so I kind of was afraid this morning that I would get the, uh, hey, nobody else is going to church this morning, so why are we here? But I'm so glad that we're able to come together as a family and to worship, and I hope that that has happened for you this morning. Um, I Melissa told me um, before I left the house to make sure to tell you that she is not dying, um, and so just relax that she will be back. Um, but she had a little bit of head cold and didn't want to cough over everybody. Um, so you can keep her in your prayers if you don't mind. This morning we're going to be looking at, um, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to, we're going to be in Mark um, again. That has become the theme passage for this sermon series that we are doing. We're also going to be in Matthew, we're going to be in Mark 4, 26 through 29. And then we'll also be in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And we'll be looking at the Great Commission, which might be one of the most talked about the most preached on verses other than maybe the Christmas story and Easter because it is the marching orders for us as believers and so you guys can go ahead and turn there the last few weeks we've been looking though at a sermon series about where we as a church need to be working in order to accomplish the things that God has set before us and we've been looking at that in terms of four fields four areas that I believe that God is putting in front of us that we should be active in all the time. The first area that, or first field that we talked about were empty fields, finding those places that God is already working in so that we might join him there. Because the reality is, is that Christ is working in the hearts of people in this community, in this state, in this country, and in this world. And if we want to be as effective as possible for him and for the gospel, then we need to find those places and join him there. And we talked about how that requires us to pray, to ask him to open our eyes to those things that are going on around us. It requires us to be active. We can't just sit back and wait for him to open that door, but rather we need to be in the community. We need to be investing our lives in this place so that we may see and discover those as he makes them aware. And then we must trust that he is going to open those doors. We must trust that God is still at work in this place and in this time and search him out so that we may join him in that. Last week we talked about sowing seed, that we all have a responsibility, that we've all been called as children of God to go and to spread the gospel to all of those that we come into contact with. It's not an option, it is a requirement. And it should be that because it is the greatest story that has ever been told, because it is the greatest thing that has ever happened to it, it should be on the tips of our tongues. It should be who we are. And we discussed how it's not enough for us to just live good lives. It's not enough for us just to be good people. But if those that are lost don't see and hear the gospel, that they'll not put two and two together. They'll not understand what Christ is really calling them into. This week we're going to be looking at a field that I'm calling caring for God's fields. And it's about discipleship. And so we're going to look a little bit about what is a disciple, 
And then how do we develop them? How do we care for them? So hopefully you've already found Mark. So if you have, as is kind of our custom here at SBC, if you would stand to honor the reading of God's word. We'll read starting Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29, and then we'll flip over to Matthew. Mark says this, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Turn over with me to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus has died and been resurrected, and now he is giving last instructions to his disciples. And he comes to them and he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, there's so many times, Lord, that I'm reminded of the foolishness of the way that you choose to expand your kingdom. God, that as a, as a human, I look at this plan and I see broken people and people that have screwed up and people that choose not to obey you on a regular basis but choose to do their own thing. And I ask why you would use us. I see my own life and the things that I have done. I see my own heart and what is there. And I ask why you would choose to use me. And so, Father, we just ask this morning, Lord, help us to see your wisdom. Help us to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because it is without that that we, will, we can't accomplish anything. God, we desperately need to hear your word, not the thoughts of a man, not the thoughts of another, but, Lord, we need to hear what you would have for us. So, Father, we pray. Help us to have good ears to listen. Help us to open our hearts to your word, to your desires, to your passions, so that we may be the church that you have designed us to be, so that we may follow you with all that we have. Lord, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's interesting here. I'm going to take a quick look at Mark before we go into Matthew. I think it's interesting here that we need to be reminded here that in Mark we see this farmer sow, and then he it says he sleeps, and he allows the crop to do what it's going to do, and then he awakens. And, and sees and checks out and realizes that the harvest is ripe and that it's ready to sow. But common sense would tell us that this farmer doesn't just do his own thing. He doesn't just plant and walk away, but rather he observes the crop and waits and is patient for that moment of harvest. He does what is necessary in order to get to that point where he can go in and do the work of reaping what he has sowed. 
And in the same way, we need to understand before we dig into discipleship and what that looks like and who those people are, that discipleship is something that requires patience. It requires living with people, walking alongside them through life. It requires patience for ourselves as well because we are never a finished product. I look at my own life, and I think I have arrived, but certainly some of you still have work to do. Yes, okay, you are listening, good. No, I have work to do. I look at my own life and I go, oh my gosh, how the heck did I get to this point? Because it is only by the grace of God that I am able to serve the church in the manner that he has asked me to. Because there are things in my past that I'm certain that if if you had a window into all of that, you would go, why did we call this guy? What were we thinking? But by the grace of God, he covers a multitude of sins and uses us, but it is only through patience and endurance that we get to that point and so we continue to press on. Discipleship is not a fast, quick process normally. It is something that we must invest our lives and our time into so that God may transform us and so that he may transform those that are around us so that when it comes time for harvest, that we are ready for it and we have put in the diligent, patient endurance that is required of us. All right, looking at Matthew and and really looking at discipleship. Jesus starts off this passage before he gives us his our marching orders, before he tells us this is the task that I have set before you. He gives us an interesting passage. He gives us a a message that I think we need to understand and it says he says here all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He reminds us as believers and his disciples that he's getting ready to send out that in his current state, he rules over everything. And it's a reminder to us that as we prepare to go into the field, that as we prepare to do the work that he has set before us, that the field that we are working in is not our own. There are times that in my own life, that I have charged ahead in ministry, that I've charged ahead in a project, maybe even unrelated to the church, and I've tried to do it on my own, and inevitably, I come up short. I may accomplish the basic of what needed to be accomplished, but the end result is not that which I had in mind. I think we've probably all experienced that at one time or another. That when we do things on our own, when we go out and we try to accomplish great tasks without considering what the Lord would have of us, that when we get to the end, though the project may be complete, it's not what we know He intended, and it's not really what satisfies us. And so as we begin to look ahead at different ministries, at where we need to invest and what we need to be doing, we need to remember that this field is not ours. This work is not ours. Rather, it is the Lord's, and we must trust that he has a plan and we must stick to that plan i have on the the slide that that means three things one we don't call the shots we don't get to make all the decisions we don't get to have it our way all the time because let's face it most of the time our way is probably not the best way and there are times that we're going to try to force our own opinions and our own emotions upon a situation and we need to be very careful of that just as a hired hand on a farm 
doesn't make his own decisions, but rather he knows the will of the person that owns the farm. He knows the will of the person that is the boss, and he tries to execute that will. We are the same way. We are to be with Christ, to know Christ to the point that we understand what his will is for our lives and for the thing that he has called us to, and we need to execute that will. We need to be about doing the task that he has put in front of us, not trying to do our own thing. Secondly, with this call of authority, with this message of authority that Christ gives, it's a reminder that we have nothing to fear. As we begin to walk forward, and I I believe as we begin to do what Christ has called us to do, Satan's natural reaction is to attack that work. It's to attack the family. When we begin to do what's right, things are going to happen. We need to not be surprised by that. Christ says, the world hated me, so they will also hate you. He's telling us, don't be surprised when things don't go well. It's okay. It's okay. Satan might attack us on a family front. He might attack us through illness. He might go at some other direction that we're not even aware of. But we need to understand that no matter what he throws at us, we do not have to fear. When I think about this, I think about, I used to, I had one summer where I worked for a guy doing land surveying. And as part of that job, I had to jump fences. Now, I'm normally a pretty law-abiding person. Don't laugh. That's not a joke. Okay? But normally, I'm a pretty law-abiding person. But when I was a land surveyor, oftentimes, I got to ignore the no trespassing signs. And I would jump a fence because we had, as part of our job, to get onto that property and shoot and, and to do some measurements. And there were times that I knew by jumping that fence that I would be confronted. Sometimes it was by dogs that were not happy that I was in their spot. Sometimes it was by farmers who were not happy with the job that I was doing. Sometimes they had guns with them. Those were always fun days. It's like, get off my land. I have a shotgun. It's like, yes, I see that. Please put that down. But I didn't, I was never afraid of doing those things. I was never afraid of jumping that fence because I knew that I was under the authority of of my boss, and I was under the authority of the law, that I had a right to be there, whether they agreed with that right or not. But I knew that I, if I was obedient, and as long as I stuck stuck to the parameters that I'd been given, that I would be okay. The same is true for us. We serve the God who owns the entire universe, the one who has authority of over all things, over all people, over all places, And we do not have to fear anything that is thrown in our way because there will be obstacles, there will be things that people disagree with, there will be times when we face opposition, and yet we can stand in confidence knowing that we serve a God that is greater. We we can stand in confidence that we serve a God who has ordered us to be there and that we are in His will. We also understand that the end result is His. We understand that we are not responsible for the outcome. Just as someone who works on a farm, they get paid their wages, but then they don't partake in the end harvest. They do their job, they get paid their wages, and all of the harvest, all of that part of it goes straight to the owner. And so, too, we do our task, we do the work that Christ has given us to do, understanding that he is responsible for the harvest that it's all for him, for his glory, for his honor, for his kingdom. 
And if we are partake in that, then we will be blessed as well. So we understand that we're under his authority. And then he goes in <coughs> after that verse, and in 19 he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So now we go from understanding that we are in his authority to understanding what we are supposed to do with that position, what we're to do as being under his authority, and that's to grow disciples. This is not a passive thing. This is not something that we get the option whether to do that or not to do that, but rather it is what we must do. It is a commandment, it is an imperative that we are to go and to plant disciples. But this brings up a couple of questions. What is a disciple and how do we make one? And I have two definitions here. One's already up there. But we have two definitions of what is a disciple. Two definitions that I could find that were in the dictionary that I thought applied well to the situation. The first definition of a disciple that you find in the dictionary is it's one who accepts and assist in spreading the doctrines of another. If we are to make disciples, we need to understand that the primary goal of a disciple is to take what he has been taught and to take it to others, to spread it to others. So as we identify those that are coming to Christ and we are helping each other to grow in Christ, we must be placing at the very core of who we are the gospel I think for a long time, and I think I've said this before on Sunday mornings, but we've gotten that backwards. We pour cold water on new believers and we say, wait, don't tell anybody about Jesus because you're not ready yet. Just hold that fire down a little bit there, son, because you haven't prayed enough, you haven't studied the Bible enough to understand what you're doing and you're going to make mistakes. And we've held them in and then they've lost that fire and they've become like us, which is comfortable. Rather than looking at them and saying, oh my gosh, you're on fire. God's done something amazing. You're speaking the truth. Go, 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 get out of here. You don't need to be around us right now. You need to be out there around lost people so they can see and hear what God has done in your life. Tell them the truth of the gospel. And then when God saves them, bring them back here and we will, we will fill in the gaps for them. Don't worry about making mistakes. Just go tell the truth. And we need to be doing the same thing. Everything else falls in line. Prayer and where the importance of prayer in our life, Bible study and the importance of devouring the word daily. All of that falls in place when the gospel is where it's supposed to be. When it is at the core of who we are. And so we need to make sure that as we are developing ourselves as we're allowing Christ to shape us into who we need to be, that we are preaching the gospel and that when new believers, new brothers and sisters come into the congregation, that we are encouraging them to do the same. The second one I really like as well, the second definition says, an active adherent of a school or an individual. The word here that I see as key is active. You don't get to be a disciple and be a passive adherent. You don't get to just sit there and go, I believe that, that's great. I have nothing else to do with that. Whether it must be a part of your entire life. All of us know individuals who claim to be Christians 
and we look at their life and we say to ourselves, how can you be a Christian and do this or do that? At times, we could probably look at our own life and say the same thing. And it's because we're passive in our faith. We allow it to be something that is just kind of on the fringes of who we are rather than allowing it to be all that we are. Rather than running after it and participating in every way possible. We allow it to affect our Sunday morning. Some of us allow it to affect Sunday nights and a very few of us allow it to affect our Wednesday nights. But many of us don't allow it to affect Monday through Saturday in any other way. That is not being a disciple. That is just being a Christian. That's claiming a title without doing anything about it. It would be like saying, I'm an athlete, but never training, never running, never doing anything to develop that. If I just claim the title but never participate, then I end up looking like this. And I end up not being able to run farther than 50 feet without praying that there's an oxygen tank at the end of the block. And I claim a title that I don't deserve. I claim a title that I have not earned. And so, too, we must understand that if we want to call ourselves disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, that it can't be a passive thing, but it must be something that we diligently pursue. So that's what a disciple is. That answers the first question. But then the second question still is there. How do we grow one of these? How do we make one of these? Well, the first step is that we must be able to identify who they are. We must be able to identify the crop. This means that we must take time to study the word, to dive into it deep so that when we come across someone who claims to be a believer, that we can identify them with confidence. This, must, this means that when someone comes to know Christ, that we baptize them the way that Christ has commanded us to, that we help to identify them with us and ultimately them with God, more importantly. But we can't do that if we ourselves have not studied, if we ourselves have not prepared. And so we must remain diligent to that as well. So we must be able to identify the crop, figure out who is actually one of us and who is pretending. And then we must water. The original title of this message was Step 3, Watering and Weeding. But I felt like weeding might mm, put off the wrong thing. We're not removing people, okay? We're going to get to that in a minute. <clears throat> but a vital task of having a garden is watering and weeding after you've planted. Growing up, I think I've shared with you that my dad had a fairly significant garden. It shrunk rapidly after all of his slave labor left. But... At the time, there was quite a bit there. And I really didn't mind planting. Planting wasn't too bad. Dad would dig out the straight line. He'd give me a stick. I would plant my seeds, and I would use that stick as a spacer. It wasn't too bad. It was mid-May, maybe, and, and I was okay. And I really didn't mind harvesting, okay? I, going in, picking green beans, pulling corn, doing tomatoes, all that kind of stuff. That was fun. I, I didn't mind that too bad. You know what I hated? I hated weeding. Weeding is awful. You go out, it's hot, it's dry, it's messy. you got to actually pay attention to what you're doing because otherwise your dad gets mad because you pulled up half the corn row. Like, 
it's like time consuming. It's awful. My dad used to do this thing where he would leave for work, but there'd be a note on the table with a list of things I must accomplish before he gets home. I hated that list. I would like try to avoid that list, and my mom would go read the list. And it wasn't too bad unless the first thing on the list was weeding. And then it was like, oh, goodness, this day is going to be awful. And my sister hated it as much as me, and so she would pretend like, I'm too small. I can only go so fast. It's like, thanks. I appreciate your help in this. You're doing great. By the way, I love that she's not a member of this church. It makes things so much easier. <coughs> but it's hard, isn't it? I saw a lot of people shaking their heads They're like, yeah, weeding's not the fun part of all this. But you know what? Discipleship's kind of the same way. We all like planting. If you've ever had the opportunity to lead someone to Christ or to see that happen in your presence, that's exciting. There is nothing more exhilarating than watching someone come to know the Lord. We love that. We need to celebrate that. We need to be excited about that. There's nothing quite like it. But the part that comes after gets a little messy. The part that comes after means that we have to actually live with them. It means that we have to walk alongside them through the times that are not fun and through the times that are fun. It means when there's a need that we need to be there to, to help with that, to serve, even when we don't want to. It means that when they have questions that make us feel uncomfortable, that we need to be about that. It means that there are going to be times that we frustrate one another. There are going to be times that we drive each other crazy. But you know what? Guess what? Your family. Deal with it. We're going to forgive. We're going to talk through it. We're going to move on. But it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean, always mean that it's going to be roses and sunshine. And so we must commit to this task of watering and weeding. Watering, for the purpose of this sermon, means encouraging. It's teaching and caring for one another. That teaching has the power to encourage. That doesn't mean that every one of us here needs to be a Sunday school teacher or needs to lead a small group or needs to be a part of Awanas. But it does mean that you need to participate in those activities, that you need to be here because you never know when God is going to do something that you say to encourage another person, to shape them into the man or woman that God desires them to be. We have all been a part of Sunday school lessons, part of Bible studies where we're sitting, and the person that we get the most out of, the, God, the person that God uses is not the person in charge, but it's the person sitting next to them or on the other end of the living room or on the other end of the table that they've been through that experience, they've been down in that hole, and they know the way out. But if you do not show up, if you do not take part in those things, then you can't be there to both be an encouragement and receive the encouragement. And so we need to be a part of watering. We need to participate in that, whatever that looks like for us as a church, whether it's Sunday school, youth, Awanas, or something different in the future. The second part is weeding. Weeding's a little different. Like I said, it's not plucking out people, but rather it's removing those things in our life that are not supposed to be there. What I put on the slide was the process of becoming a disciple who bears fruit requires the removal of anything that is not of Christ. We all have those times in our life, if you're like me, where you can remember vividly a certain aspect of your life. For me, I have certain moments I have trivial moments, 
Like, I can tell you the exact place, the exact time, where I was at when Tyus Edney of UCLA basketball ran the entire court for a layup against Mizzou, a team that should have won the national championship that year. I was in my dad's white escort in the passenger seat. It smelled like dirt, and who knows what else he had in there. And I listened to the ball game, and my eight-year-old heart just broke. There are trivial moments like that. Obviously, it didn't scar me at all. There's also moments like 9-11, when I can remember sitting in an English classroom as a junior. I can remember who my friends were, where they were sitting. I can remember the smell of that classroom. I can remember the perfume of that teacher, and it was not good. I can remember walking out of that classroom in a daze and walking and walk up to the library where my homeroom was and watching that second plane fly into the building. We all have those moments. One of those other moments for me was a spiritual moment. I was in Thailand, and I was listening to an older, well, he was a middle-aged gentleman, pray. And it was not common for Thai people to get real emotional, and I, I heard him getting emotional as he prayed. And so I put on the headphones that the interpreter, that you could hear an interpreter through, and I heard him pray this prayer. God, attack our hearts. Use the sword of your word to cut away at them. And I thought to myself in that moment, oh, I need that. I didn't want to admit it, but I needed that. There are times in our life when we need God to remove those things from our heart that should not be there. And they are not present. Oftentimes it is a painful experience because it is part of who we've identified ourselves as. Often it's part of a process of removing an idol in our life that shouldn't be there, but we have invested so much into it that we can't bear to lose it. For me at times, that has been sports. I love sports. If you have not talked to me in, for less than five minutes and you have somehow missed the fact I love sports, then you were not aware of what was going on. I love them. I love playing them. Well, I did love playing them. I played them all the time. I love going to games. I love watching games on TV. But there were times in my life when it was an idol. And for me to cut that away was painful. There are times when my family has been that. Though it's a good thing, it should not be everything. There are times when caffeine has been that for me. For some of you, that's still something that you deal with. In fact, Barb would probably tell you that caffeine's still an idol in my life. I like to sneak out of the office every once in a while and go get a Mountain Dew at the Shell Station. But there are things in our life, if we're serious and we're honest, that we know need to be removed. And guess what? The place that that happens is here. The place that happens is in life with other believers. God uses not only his word, but other brothers and sisters in Christ to hold us accountable, to remind us, hey, how are you doing with that area? But that requires us to open up a little bit, doesn't it? And that's scary. We must be vulnerable with one another for that to happen. And people must be vulnerable with us, which I think sometimes is scarier. We really like to say, hey, how are you doing this morning? And we, we hope that they don't actually tell us. How many times do you do that in bed? Hey, how you doing? Good. And you keep moving on. And if they stop to say something different, you're like, oh, okay. And if they do that too often, then it's like, I'm not asking them again. 
You're like, hi, how are you? Mm, nope, can't ask that question. But we must be willing to be invested in others' lives. We must be willing to open ourselves up so that we can hold one of the ca- each other accountable so that this weeding process that must happen, happens. So what does this look like? How do we do this? We talked a little bit about this morning. First, in order for us to care for each other, in order for us to care for these fields, for these new believers and believers that have been here a long time, we must start with our own personal study. How will you be able to identify things in other people's lives? How will you be able to encourage them the way that God is asking you to? How can you participate in the work of the gospel if you are not participating in a daily time with him? If you are not giving him moments, periods of your day where you are allowing him to speak to you through his word and through prayer. It's impossible. So we must commit to that own personal time with him every day. Second, we must commit to teaching one another. This doesn't, again, mean that you have to be a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't mean that you have to be an Awana leader. It doesn't mean that you have to be a leader of youth. But it does mean that you need to be here to be part of the body of Christ when we are gathered for those events so that God may use you in a way that only he can to encourage or to hold accountable another brother or sister. He desires for you to use you to shape other people and for other people to shape you. It's one of the mysteries of the church. So I hope that you will make that commitment to be an active participant as we move forward. To no longer be passive in that. And then lastly, it means caring for one another. It means taking the time to open up to one another and allow each other to carry the burdens that some of us pack around every day. I believe one of the ways that we're going to do that is through the deacon family ministry. I'm so thankful for the, the deacons that we have here that they have stepped up and, and been energetic about this. Hopefully in the last month or so you've received a letter from your deacon. The hope for that ministry is that it provides a person for you to be in contact with. For you to share physical and spiritual needs with so that they can help carry the burden. The reality is, is that in a congregation this size is that I can't know everyone's personal story and be at every home in every room at the same time. It's just not humanly possible for me. There are a lot of things that God's asking me to do, and I wish I could do all of them, and I wish I could be in every home at every moment to encourage you, to help you in any way that I can, and I want to be available. And this is not a way for me to escape that, but this is a help for us as a church for men that you've elected to do leadership in this church to come alongside me and to come alongside you so that we may be a family together. And I'm thankful that they've done that, that they've made the commitment to reach out to all of you. I'm thankful that they have been excited about this, or at least they've faked excitement in our meetings. 
and I've made a commitment to them that they're my families, not that all of you aren't my families, but that I've made a commitment to them that they're the ones that I'm going to be checking on because they need that as well. And they've made a commitment to me as well in that. But that ministry is only going to work as well as you are willing to be vulnerable to that person, to that deacon. If you don't tell them that you have a need, if you don't tell them that you're struggling with something spiritually, if you don't tell them that there's a physical need or that there's a hospital visit that needs to be made, then they're not going to be able to accomplish those things. We used to, we used to kind of joke, we had a fa- family ministry plan at the church that I came from and we used to kind of laugh because someone would come to us and, and laugh may not be the right word, we, we would kind of feel guilty and, and also kind of like roll our eyes at the same time because they would come to us and they would say, hey, no one came and visited me in the hospital. And it was like, oh, I'm, you know, you're apologetic over and over again. Like, I'm so sorry that that didn't happen. When were you in the hospital? And they're like, oh, three weeks ago for like four hours. And you're like, okay. Like, who did you tell about that? Like, how? Oh, no, I didn't tell anybody. I just went and came back and it was over. It was like, and you wanted someone to visit you. Yes, they were supposed to visit me. It's like, okay, I don't know how that was going to happen. God gives prophecy. God gives visions. Not sure he does it in those cases all the time. And that's not to make fun of anybody. That's not to make you feel worse. But it does say this. You have to communicate. If you want your deacon to be there, if you want me to be there, if you need something, please tell us. We desire to serve the family. We desire to serve the church. And we can't do that if you just keep everything internalized. You just keep it in-house is kind of a, a way that we would say it. Let us serve you. Let us come alongside you. You know what that does? That allows us to become family, and it allows when hard things happen, when things that are difficult happen, it allows us to have already developed relationships, already developed lines of communication, so that when those things happen, we can talk about it as a family, and we can talk about it in a healthy manner. And so I hope that you will invest in that the way that I know that your deacons are going to invest in that that you'll give them the opportunity to serve in the way that they've been called. So we have three challenges here, three ways that we can do that. It's our own personal study. It's about participating, teaching each other, encouraging one another, keeping each other accountable, caring for one another, allowing each other to carry burdens that we should not be carrying on our own. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up, and we're just going to do a short time of response. We've talked this morning a little bit about caring, and you've heard the word family thrown around, not just by me, but by some of the guys that were up here praying. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you have no idea what it means to be part of a family of a church. You've never given your life to Christ. You've never entered into Him with that kind of relationship. This morning, I hope that today is the day of salvation. Christ died for you for your mistakes, so that you may know your Creator in the way that He intended. He died so that He could pay a price that you would never be able to pay. And so this morning, if you will ask Him for forgiveness, repent, turn away from those things, say, I don't want to live that kind of life anymore, and allow Him to be in charge, allow Him to take control of your life, you today can receive that hope, that grace that He has extended to you, and you can be a part of this family and the family of God which goes far beyond these four walls. This morning, maybe you are part of our family. 
I was at a funeral yesterday with a family here in town, and, and some of our people were serving, and I looked at Fred, and I just said, man, we've got some great people here. We've got some extraordinary people here. This is a blessed place with a blessed family. How has God called you to participate in it? How is he challenging you not to be a passive observer, but rather to be invested in this family and this place? Don't be that cousin that we never see. Don't be that cousin that we're like, oh yeah, somebody should probably call him. Be part of the family. Be here. Invest in this. This is where God wants you. This is where God's called you. We need you desperately. So this morning I ask just that you, as you listen to the song, as you sing along, as you end your day with us, pray, God, where would you have me? And then respond in the way that you would have me. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the way that you love on us. We're so thankful for the way that you care for us. And most of all, we are thankful that you died and paid a price that we could not pay so we could be part of this family. So we could be part of something bigger than ourselves. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would open our hearts. Allow us to be obedient to you. Help us, give us the strength to do what maybe we can't do on our own. Guide and direct our paths this week. We pray this in your name.